I don't feel a part of the family unless I go and do the dishes. That's when I start to feel a part of the family because I think some of the most, most important conversations happen over dishes. Can I get an amen? All right. Hey, guys, this is my good friend Kevin and our new family member here at the church, and so I'm going to turn it over to him to give announcements. All right. Our announcements for today for February 19th are going to be life groups are going to meet as usual. There is, I don't know if when you walked in, you noticed the smell emanating from downstairs. Um, that's chili and desserts. We're going to have a fellowship lunch today after the service. Um, so join us after that, immediately following the service. Uh, live stream has moved to online stream at 4 p.m. on Sunday. So if you know anybody who's watching the live stream or anything of that nature, let them know about that. In addition, let's see here. Abba's House Empty Bowl events is on February 21st at Five tickets are available at Abba's house. That's at 2420 Watt Court. And there is an if. I don't know what if means. Um, gathering on March 3rd and 4th. It's a $15 entry fee with babysitting available. Can someone explain to me what if is? Okay, well, there we go. Um, so if you'll stand, we'll go ahead and do our memory verse. Oh, oh feel free. I'm so sorry. I mean, you can sit down for a quick second. So um, Miss Jennifer has asked me to um, give us an update on what our new children's church ministry uh, is going to look like. It's for four-year-olds through first grade now, and we meet actually in the preschool room um, just up here, and we need volunteers. We need help. And so what we've done is we've actually created a big master list of all of the children's ministry volunteer needs for Sunday morning. We're just asking if you could sign up for maybe one or maybe two Sundays a month. It'll be the same Sunday every month for a three-month commitment. And this will just give us a better bird's eye view of the needs of our children's ministry volunteers, what volunteers we need, um, but also give you a little break from us always asking for help. <laughs> so I'm going to send this sign-up sheet around, and hopefully we can get some help. Um, this is going to start in April, so you're, you're signing up for that three-month commitment starting in April. However, we do need help in children's church and Sunday school for kids' Sunday school um, starting next week. So if that's something you're available for and you want to do, just come talk to me or Jennifer. Thank you. First Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 1 Peter 2.9. All right, can everybody hear me okay? Oh man, those songs just touch me down to my soul. I don't know about you guys, but I just, sometimes I can read truth over and over, but when I sing it to the Lord... Man, it just sinks it down into my heart, into my mind, and into my soul. So thank you, church, for singing those songs with me this morning, even though some of them are new to you, maybe. Hey, uh, before we jump in, so we got Children's Church, and uh, so if you are in first grade or underneath, or you got a kid of that age, send them back to Children's Church. It's going to be a great high-energy time. And then if you are in second grade through sixth grade, hopefully you got your treasure seeker sheet. You're ready to focus in, dial in, and pay attention. And I'll tell you what, adults, are we ready to train these kids up to dive into the Word of God together? Should we teach them? Should we show them by modeling how we do that? Let's do that this morning. 
Um, and I got one quick announcement that I just wanted to bring a special highlight to, and then we're going to jump into some exciting things. Uh, number one is, uh, I'm, I'm excited about the potluck, but tonight at 6.30, everybody write this down, at 6.30 tonight, we're going to have an informational meeting where John Whitsum is going to come and talk to us about our financial strategy moving forward uh, for paying for some of the uh, updates to the parsonage and the fixes to the parsonage. And so we encourage you, if you're a member, if you're part of the family, you got to have the family meeting, right? And so we just want to have you or invite you to join us back here in this room at 6.30 tonight to discuss uh, the family finances, okay? How many of you believe that God is on the move? You believe he's doing something and he's working today? Guys, I got exciting news for you. He is. He is. Let me show you a picture here. This is a picture of God's movement in, in Asbury University in Kentucky. This happened starting February 8th. A few students got together after a normal service like what we're having today, a normal chapel service. And on February 8th, the students huddled up after that service and they began to repent with one another. They began to confess their sins and pray for one another. And God showed up. And that service has been going and is currently going right now. And you know what? God is on the move because it's sprung up on other college campuses throughout our nation. And you're seeing thousands upon thousands flock to these chapels and begin to praise God. And I'll tell you, there's revivals that sometimes are forced. Sometimes they're based on big personalities and incredible speakers and good musicians. But you know what? This was a grassroots movement of a few college students who said, I want to repent of my sin and follow Jesus, whatever that means for my life. And now it's catalyzed. Thousands are coming to Christ. They're professing faith in Jesus. People are getting delivered and people are seeing the movement and the work of God. Can that happen here in Fremont? I believe it will happen here in Fremont. I believe that God can and will do that. And it starts with what is going on right now. And it starts with this idea that we are adopted sons and daughters of the most high God. Last week, we talked a little bit about the unity that God calls us to. We talked about a house divided. And so Jesus has this two-part section where he begins to unpack this fact that a church has to be together, moving forward in the same page with him as their leader. And then he continues this thought where we're going to be at today in Mark 3, 31 through 35. But before we do, how many of you have ever heard of something called a gotcha day? You guys ever heard of a gotcha day? If you're in, steeped into the culture of adoption in the church or even adoption in general, there's this really cool thing called a gotcha day. And a gotcha day is when your adopted kiddo officially becomes yours. He takes on your name. He or she takes on your name. Well, guys, I was writing this sermon, and I called Becky up, and I was like, "Hun, when is, when is Gideon's gotcha day? She goes, oh, February 19th. That's today. And I was like, oh, man, I kind of totally forgot for a minute, but then I was like, God's scripture is leading me to share about this idea of adoption into the family of God on my, my adopted son's gotcha day. What a beautiful illustration for us. See, when my son 
joined our family. He was out of foster care, and two years later, two years and two weeks, we got to sit in the court hearing where we got to hear the judge say that he is officially Gideon James Rosty. And he took on our name, and in that day, he became officially my son. He became my son. And that is, I, I show this picture here, um, one, because it was on that day uh, and continuing forward where he just likes to spend all of his time up on my shoulders. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, what a cool picture of this idea of what God does for us. He adopts us as a father, and he picks us up, and he puts us on his shoulders and he says, I want to carry you through this life, but I'm not going to do it alone. See, the thing about adoption is if anybody you've done research or you've done research and training on adoption, adoption's difficult. It comes at a great cost, financial cost. It comes at monetary cost. It even comes at emotional cost because if there is an adoption that has to happen, we know that something has gone wrong because kiddo is not with their birth mom or birth family, right? And so there's trauma. And so we know that there is difficulty whenever you have adoption, and it comes at a great cost. But we know, and I can tell you firsthand as somebody who's adopted, (laughs) it's worth that cost. Every minute, every tear, every dollar that we put into adopting, it is worth that cost. And see, Jesus He's reminding us in this passage we're about to read that we were adopted at a great cost and that we are a part of a family of God. I want you to start in verse 31 here with me. Would you read? And his mothers and brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, that's Jesus, and they said to him, your mother and your brother, brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers. And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And so this morning, Jesus raises a pretty interesting question for us Who is family? Who is our family? Who is our family? He asks such a bizarre question. His family, you can imagine, can you imagine this looking for your kiddos? And they're like, they're like, who are my mother and my brother? <laughs> How many of you kids have tried to say, that's not my family? <laughs> right? And so there's this sense, it's like, Jesus, what are you doing? It seems like you're dishonoring your family. What's going on here? And so Jesus wants to raise in our hearts and our minds the question, who is our family? And the Bible tends to use this idea of adoption and the family of Christ, which is the church. And this illustration pops up continually. It uses language. Like we were to refer to it. Many of you have maybe found it weird that I call us brothers and sisters. You know, it's not just some old tradition that sounds old. It comes straight out of Scripture that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is who we are. And in fact, Jesus in Romans 8.29, it says Jesus was the firstborn brother of many. So it talks about Jesus as this firstborn who makes it possible for all of us to be adopted into the family. And we know that he brought us into the family when we profess faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. We join something bigger. And so Jesus is going to answer this question for us this morning. Who is my family? Who is my family? 
It starts with, Jesus points out two things. Who is our family? He points out when he says, here are my mother and my brothers. What were these people doing when he says, these are my mother and my brothers? What were they doing? You see there? Let me see if I can, I'll highlight it for you. Okay. They were sitting around Jesus. They were sitting at the feet of Jesus. So when we ask the question, who is our faith family this morning? Our faith family is any who sit at the feet of Jesus. What does it mean to sit at the feet of Jesus? Well, there's this really important thing that we start to identify in this passage. That Jesus starts with this idea of being with him is what distinguishes us as a member of the family, being with him. Now, there's this idea of being and doing that we're going to talk about, and they're different concepts. But first, we want to start with those who were sitting at the feet, they were being with Jesus, they were present with him. That's what he calls as, as being a part of his family. This is important for us today because there's a war waging. I don't know if you knew this, but there is a war of identity waging. Who are you? Who are you being? What is your being? And, and the world's trying to identify us by our, our sexuality, or they're trying to identify us by our likes and our dislikes, and the world is trying to identify us by what we do and how, what our work is. And this is really important. Because our identity is the fight, I would say it is the fight of our day and our age. Who are you? And who are you being? Who are you being? See, we even, when we ask one another about what we are being, we ask each other, what do you do, man? You ever had that conversation? What's like the first thing when you're meeting somebody? What do you ask? You ask about what they do. And how do you respond? You always respond with your identity, don't you? I am a plumber. I am a pastor, I am an engineer, I am a, right? And we identify as that our identity. And brothers and sisters, we have to be really careful about the labels that we take on. We are a, a child of God who does things, but we know that our identity is son and daughter of God. We were bought at a price. We are children of the Most High God. How many of you um, remember when your parents were trying to explain to you the things that the family does and don't do? We do this at our house. Hey, the Rosties don't do this, right? Like the Rosties don't pick their nose in church service, right? Right? And then my parents always tried to train us from this position of the Rosti, our name, our family name was this part of my identity is who we were shaping to be. Well, there's this kind of this cool principle that when we sit at the feet of Jesus, it's about being with Jesus. That matters more than anything else in our life, any other identity. You're a child of God first, more than you are anything else, more than just a citizen of the United States, more than anything anybody is going to try to label you. You are a child of God. And we are not bound to what came before us. And so even our family names, some of you may know this, but our family names sometimes come with baggage, don't we? Don't they? Right? We all come from imperfect, sinful families. Can we admit that? Even if they were good families, right? You've all got that weird uncle. And if you don't know who that is, that's probably you. 
But here's the beauty about this new idea that we're in the family of God by being with Jesus and being in Jesus is this idea that we're not just bound to the baggage of the family past. We're not just bound to what's been done against us. Our new identity stems or flows out of this idea that we were adopted by God himself. That's who we get to be. This is the most, if you understand this, this is going to change your life. All the baggage that you inherited, I do premarital counseling a lot, and uh, I really enjoy it, but we have one session where we sit down and we talk about what did you see your parents do well, and what did you see your parents do poorly, and then what do you do in light of that? Because we all know, right, that that affects how we do marriage. It affects how we do life. Because we have a blueprint that's offered to us. And see, here's the cool thing about taking on a new identity in Christ. You're not just bound to the family chains and the the bondage of the things that have been done in the past. Uh, Or some of you had really amazing parents and you're like, how could I ever be an amazing parent that my parents were? Anybody under that pressure? You're under that pressure, Evangeline? (laughs) Grandma and grandpa are pretty cool, huh? All right. But we can just kind of erase that and say, now we get to be a child of God, and so however I parent, it's going to be in Christ because I'm a child of God. When we go and we go to our places of work, it's no longer this is my identity, this is what gives me value or worth because that doesn't matter anymore. What gives me value and worth? Sitting at the feet of Jesus and being with him. How many of you have a low self-image of yourself or you're depressed and you feel terrible about yourself? Well, you can push that aside and you can say, now I'm a child of God bought by the grace of Jesus. My worth is not in what I do. My worth is not in what people think of me. My worth does not matter based on how much I can perform or how I can't perform if you're me, right? You, your worth depends solely on the cross of Christ because you were bought at a high price. Amen. You were bought at a high price. So now for us as believers, Sitting at the feet of Jesus is our highest value. It is the thing that brings us the greatest worth. And here Jesus is trying to say, those that are sitting at my feet right now and listening to my teaching, these are my mother, my brothers. He's saying this is family. Brothers and sisters, when you look around, those that are sitting at the feet of Jesus, not just those that attend First Baptist Riverton, but those that are sitting at the feet of Jesus, those are our brothers and sisters. Those are our brothers and sisters. And we honor, we honor Jesus when we honor our brothers and sisters. This is principle where Jesus says, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. And this idea that serving, serving Christ, the best way we can honor him is to serve one another. We're going to get to that in a second. So we need to be people who are labeled by the, the only label we take on. Is not abused, is not addict, is not... Worker is not victor, is not loser. It is now, I am a child of God. And I hope you speak that over yourself continually, that we need reminded. That's not like, it's not a a big, resounding, new, shocking truth, is it? But how many of you lose sight of that as soon as you walk out these doors? Thanks, Titus. 
So, number two, who is the family of God? Number two under this is, he says, those who do the will of God. See, the important part that we see in this passage is being came before doing, but there has to be doing, doesn't there? There has to be for whoever does the will of God. Does that mean sitting on the couch? <laughs> okay, Titus, I need you to bring it in, okay? Whoever does the will of God, whoever does the will of God. Here, this is not a new concept for Jesus in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, there's the being part. If you love me, if your identity is child of God, then what? You will keep my commands. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. You ever had somebody say, I love you, I love you, I love you. And you're like, I'm not so sure. Right? There's this sense. Have you ever had somebody do something out of love and affection for you, not because they had to, but because they got to? How many of you have ever been able to do something because you got to versus something you've had to do? Right? Things like taking out the trash in the family home. If you really love your family and you're excited to serve them, you do the dirty work because you love your family. Because you love your family. Brothers and sisters, that's what we do here. That's what we do here as the church, as the family of God. So when you do the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. There's this sense that we need to walk in obedience out of this new identity that we are children of God. We need to be one as the family of God and obey him, obey him. Follow his commandments. I'm going to show the, the family code. He gives us a big, long list of family code. We're going to get there in this in just a minute. But when you are in a family, there are certain things that define a family. Would you agree? Certain do's and don'ts that define a family. The Rosties, for example, um, and I was working with this with my son when he was at basketball practice. He grabbed his jacket as soon as he was done with basketball practice, and he ran to me. He's like, okay, let's go. And I looked across the gym, and it was a mess. And I grabbed him and I said, son, you need to understand that the Rosties are the people who will stay behind and help pick up the gym. Right? And I think about that. How does that apply to the family of God? The children of God are the people who do what? Fill in that blank and we're going to get there. Um, so does the will of God. Being in this family came at a greater cost. So uh, here's, here's what I want to ask. I got one more question for you as we ponder this passage. What does it mean to belong to the family of Jesus? What does it mean to belong to the family of Jesus? This is basically membership for First Baptist. Okay, but what does it mean to be a part of the family? Being in the family came at a greater cost than anything else in our life. We know that the eternal Jesus paid his full life for us to make us right with God. We were, we were paid for at a cost. Jesus died to bring us into the family. This membership, this family, for this faith family, that adoption came at a really high cost. Do you guys think about that? Do you think about the cost that Jesus paid to bring you in? How many of you have ever had somebody do really, something really, really kind or nice to you? What is your response to them? I always think about this. If somebody came and just, like, you had this incredible debt, so maybe somebody came and poor, pay, paid off your mortgage, what would be your response to them? Oh, maybe I'll show up to a coffee meeting with you once a month. 
Maybe I'll show up on Sunday and visit you every once in a while. No, you're going to be like, thank you. I want to know their name. I want to give them a hug. I'm going to be crying the whole time. Do you see that sense of cost has kind of left the church and we've developed what has replaced the sense of great cost for our membership has become this entitlement. The church should do this for me. The church should do it my way. I want to receive it in the way that I want it. And it's been replaced by entitlement instead of this idea that our membership came at a great cost. It's not a guilt trip, but it's a, oh, thank you. It's an, oh, thank you, Lord. You're in the family because a long line of people carried painfully at times the gospel to you. Did you know that? Every one of you here has the gospel, even has the word of God, because it came at a great cost. You know, we've had, if Jesus doesn't return, we have generations coming after us. You know that, right? Are you carrying the gospel to them? Brothers and sisters, we have them sitting in our pews with us here now in front of you. And it is our duty to carry sometimes painfully the gospel to them because it is of highest importance, of highest value. If you take something for granted, you are not ascribing to it its actual value. I always use the example, if I gave uh, my wife's wedding ring to my four-year-old son, what do you think he would understand its value? He'd probably go and take it and play within the mud or probably drop it down the heating vent, you know? Something terrifying. Many of you would like, that's awful, or drop it down the sink, right? There's kind of this idea that the gift that's been given to us, both in the gospel and belonging to the family of Christ, is of such immense worth that we're like kids playing with a diamond ring. We have no idea its value. We have no idea the cost that it was paid for that. And Jesus said to them, so, oh, by the way, did you know that a part of when you come into, come into the family of God, when you're saved by Jesus through faith, Jesus even says that part of our reward, get this, part of our reward, part of his blessing in our life is not just being saved. That's pretty amazing, yes. Not just being forgiven of our sins. That's pretty amazing, yes. But now you get to belong to the family of Jesus. And he says, that's part of the gift that I'm giving you says Jesus, uh, so this is Matthew 19, 28 through 29, says Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, so the disciples were griping a little bit, they're saying, Jesus, we left everything to follow you, we sacrificed this whole church thing, this whole following you thing is beginning to cost us, it's beginning to hurt, and so Jesus responds, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you have followed me, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging 12 tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left, that's everyone, that's us included in that, and everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. You see how those two things are different? You will receive a hundredfold of what is he talking about in that verse? You will receive a hundredfold mothers, brothers, and sisters, and you will receive eternal life. Everybody look around at your brothers and sisters here. That's the treasure that Jesus gives you. Do you treat him like a treasure? Do you treat him like a treasure? Do you treat them like a treasure? Because they're a part of that treasure that Jesus is giving you when you become a Christ. You will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. 
It's not just a justification to ignore your family here. Jesus isn't just saying that family is the enemy. But he's saying there's a bigger principle here that we're missing, brothers and sisters, that, that faith family is of immense importance. It seems like Jesus sometimes in his ministry tended to rag on his, uh, his close family or teach us that, that high prioritizing of blood family uh, is, is not as a high priority. And these are hard things to hear. You ever read these passages and you go, I'm kind of uncomfortable with that. By the way, if you read the Bible and you never say, I'm uncomfortable with that, you're not reading the Bible. He said in Matthew 8, 18 to a guy who wanted to bury his father. Have you heard this? Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Come with me now. Like, Jesus, you're kind of demanding, man. What is he trying to show us? There's something of higher worth and higher value. How many of you are like, oh, I'm going to wrestle with this one. You're saying that God's family, his kingdom is more important than even some of my blood ties, my relatives, those whom I love. Yeah, I think Jesus is saying that. In Luke 14, 25 through 27, this is a really one. Many who've read the Bible just straight through and not a believer, they'll leave the Bible after they read this. In fact, this was Jesus. Jesus was kind of funny in his ministry, right? He would step up have all these crowds, and I kind of, there's this one interaction with the disciples where he's, he's just kind of like, guys, watch this. We'll see who's really going to follow me, right? And he's, he begins, it's not about crowds where Jesus begins to like kind of challenge him. He says this, Luke 14, 26 through 27, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What did Jesus just ask us to do? And the crowd that heard that when he said that were like, okay, peace, Jesus. You're just asking a little too much. You're asking a little too much. And now, does he mean, well, one of, one of the, uh, one of the Old Testament laws, or excuse me, is honor your father and mother. How can he turn around and say, hate? And, and I think what many theologians have wrestled with this idea that, that what he is saying here is that in comparison to the love that we have for Jesus, it eclipses any other love that we have on this earth, right? So kids, don't go to your parents and say, I hate you today, okay? Don't do that. That's not the goal of that passage. But again, Jesus is trying to illustrate that there's something of far su- supreme worth Uh, My highest priority for my kids is not participation in any sport, activity, pastime. It's for them to be part of Jesus' following family of believers. And see, this is kind of this idea that many of us try to um, develop this passion and this love and this care for our families. And that is important. But we spend more time trying to get our kids bought into our family than we do trying to get them bought into Christ. And there's this principle in Scripture, I don't know if you think about this, but it says if you um, prioritize Jesus, the rest of the things in your life will be set in the right priority. So sometimes parents, when they're trying to make family the highest value, in, in a sense, they're hurting their objective. And as Christians, we do this all the time. When we try to make something that we like the goal, instead of making Jesus the goal and letting everything else be put into its place. Does that make sense? Did I explain that well? 
And so there's kind of this idea that our highest goal as parents is not to make our kids feel like they need us or they want us or they got to have us as a family, but instead we, our goal is to push them into and towards Jesus with everything that we have, with every lesson, with every conversation. It is to disciple our kids towards Christ, not towards us. That's kind of hard to hear, isn't it? As there's some of us are like, man, I really, I kind of like this idea of having a little me. That's not me. Trust me, you don't need more Shanes. You need followers of Jesus. And so there's kind of this idea that we set this as the highest priority for our kids, following Jesus and being a part of the family of God, more than sports, more than getting a diploma, more than graduating high school, following Jesus is more important. I'm not saying those are bad things. Parents are giving me this look like, you're dissuading my kid from going to college, right? If Jesus doesn't want him to go to college, don't send him to college, right? But if Jesus does want him to go to college where there's revival happening now, amen, send him to college. Because Jesus is the one who's in charge of our kids, not us. It's not about what we want. It's about what he wants for them. This is why the, the next generation that's coming up, they're frustrated, they're frustrated because we have all of these expectations for them. You need to meet these expectations for me. And they're looking at the Bible and they're saying, Jesus didn't expect this from me. It's because we want to create disciples of ourselves. As parents, brothers and sisters, as the church, we need to raise up a young generation that loves Jesus more than the, the conventional norms of the day. Okay, number two, uh, so answering the question, what does it mean to be a part of the family? What does it mean to be a part of the family? This family is a family based on sacrificial love and commitment to one another. Our brother Jesus, our oldest brother, Jesus showed us that it comes with sacrificial love and commitment, agape love. I always think about my wife's first experience at a Baptist church. She came from a Pentecostal background, and so worship was pretty lively. And then she, she started dating me, and she came to my Baptist church. Think about that. There was a change in culture there for her. It was a bit of a culture shock. But, you know, as she began to go with me and as she began to say, hey, you know, this isn't as expressive. It's not what I like, but I'm starting to cherish this. It was kind of this idea that she could die to what she was used to or die to her preference so that she could worship with the family of Christ. This church does an amazing job at that. We have Sundays where we sing all contemporary songs. We have Sundays where we sing hymn songs. It doesn't matter. You know why? Because <laughs> it's about Jesus. And it's not about any one generation's preferences. It's about Jesus. We have to sacrifice. As the church, we have to be a family of Christ that sacrifices our preferences, our time, our finances, and our efforts. Because you know what happens when the people of God begin to show sacrificial love to the world, to one another? You know what happens? They say, oh my goodness, that cross of Christ must be pretty valuable to those people. Because they're able to sacrifice very costly things because of the gospel. And so it tells the world that we believe of the supreme worth and value when we begin to give of our time and our finances and our efforts to, to Christ as the highest value. It tells the world that, man, there's something really in that Jesus thing. See, the family of God holds Jesus at a high value. The next thing that we see, and these are just, again, a couple of thoughts about what does it mean to be a part of the, the family of Christ. It means diversity. Um, I, got a, I got a shirt on uh, that says, it's out of Revelation 7, 9. You know what it says? 
Every tribe, nation, and tongue will be before the throne of God praising him someday. Is there going to be some people that are not like you? Yeah. They're going to be weird. <laughs> and so are you. But we're all going to be before the throne. And there's, so there's this sense that the church should be the most diverse place in the world. It should be the most diverse family in the world. Because we're united by Christ. It doesn't matter what separates us, what cultures, what backgrounds, what preferences. It doesn't matter because we all fall in line with our master and our Lord Jesus. And so Christians can look very different from one another and still be brother and sister. Anybody have a sibling that was like your polar opposite? But you're still brother and sister, right? So the church is a diverse place. There's a sense that we should prioritize uh, believers, and we treat one another like, and here's the family code, ready? There are 59 one another's uh, in, the, in the New Testament. I call this the family code, the one another's. You ever heard the one another's in scripture? I'm just going to read through them really fast. They're all in the passage, but it says, be at peace with one another, love one another, wash one another's feet. Oh, here, look, it says, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. It repeats it a lot. Have you seen that? There's the family code. Moms, have you ever, <laughs> you ever been telling your kids that <laughs> on repeat? Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourself. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another. Oh, hey, it's there again. Stop passing judgment on one another. Romans 14, 13. Accept one another. Then just as Christ accepted you, Romans 15, 7, instruct one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. Hold on, Jesus. Greet each other warmly. You don't got to kiss each other, okay? When you come together to eat, wait for each other. Have equal concern for each other. Greet one another with a holy kiss. It says this multiple times. Serve one another. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you will be destroyed by each other. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Carry each other's burdens. We got a lot of burdens here in this faith family, don't we? Let no one here carry their burden alone. Let no one here carry their burden alone. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate. I could go on all day. This is a whole year's worth of sermon series. Are you ready? Maybe we'll have time. There's so much in Scripture to get to you, brothers and sisters. So there's the family code of sacrifice for one another. And then number five, uh, eternal versus temporary. The, the relationships that we get in here, in this church, in this faith family, they're not just for in this life, but they're for eternity. And here we get this glimpse of something, a principle like this in Luke 20, 34 through 36. And this is, I get this question a lot. Are we going to know our spouse or are we going to be married in heaven? And Jesus answers this question directly to some Pharisees. He said, And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. What did Jesus just say? He said, We're not going to be married in heaven. Well, I want you to think about what that means here, Okay. This is important because I, I explained this to my, I read that passage to my dad and he about threw something at me. 
But I need you to get this. Marriage on this, in this age is the closest relationship that we can have to what the Trinity has, the oneness that the Trinity has. It's a gift to us to experience oneness on this earth. But is it still imperfect? Anybody married? You know, okay? Inside joke, everybody else, okay? But there's this principle or this idea then that marriage will be replaced with a closeness, a sense of oneness with everybody. And when I think about the friendship, the closeness that you have with your spouse that is incredible. Now think about the idea, how much they know you. Now think about this, if everybody had a genuine and true and pure relationship and friendship with one another on the level even beyond an imperfect marriage with everybody. See, marriage is going to be replaced. And this is a prayer that Jesus prayed for us in the high priestly prayer. You guys ever read that? John 17, priestly prayer. He says, let them be one as you and me, Father, are one. Jesus' goal for us is to have such unity and such friendship. that Man, we have that with everybody in heaven and in the presence of Christ. There won't need to be marriage because we'll have that sense of commitment and closeness together. It'll be perfection. And there will be great rejoicing. Amen? Oneness that surprises even the greatest, most healthy of marriages today. It'll be with everyone. See, family, bo- family baggage is broken by eternal relationships. So if you've inherited family baggage. It's broken by your eternal relationships and can be redeemed. So if you grew up fatherless or your father or your mother or your family unit was not what it ought to be, according to statistics, that's almost all of us have been affected by the brokenness in marriages. That all can all be redeemed in the family of God. We have a lot of mothers and a lot of dads here. They can be spiritual mothers and brothers and and dads, so let the church step into those roles if they were broken for you. Our relationships can now be a taste of perfection to come. And so this, is, this idea that our relationships here in this church is not just for the benefit of now, but it's for the benefit of our, of our time in heaven with him for eternity. We don't use people then for what we need. We get to be with people in their need. Did you hear where I traded that? There's kind of this principle when you start to view, you, you begin not to look at people as resources to get what you need. But you begin to say, it's not about what I need right now because I've got an eternal satisfaction in the Lord. I get to serve people in their need. It's a whole difference in being when we become a family. It's not for the benefit of now. All, uh, many of us have been in those relationships where say, I'll love you as long as you meet my needs. That's what most marriages are based on today, aren't they? As long as you make me happy, I'm going to stay with you. But as soon as I get unhappy, I'm out, right? And that's what's happening in the wave of divorce across our nation. But what if we built relationships and even our marriages on this fact that we were, there's an even higher relationship than our marriage, that we are part of the family of God together. Our, healthy, our relationships become healthy when Jesus is at its priority, so it's easy, it's easy to say we should be a family, but not so actually to actually act like it, right? It's easy to say we should be a family. And as your pastor, I'm here and I'm asking you, faith family, can we be a family here? Can we be the children of Christ together? 
Jesus ultimately picks us up on his shoulders and carries us into his family. And yes, some of us may be the weird uncles, but let's love one another in spite of that. Treat believers as even closer. So uh, walk away with this today. Treat believers as close or more than family. This is going to be a change in thinking for some of you, I know. Treat believers as close or more than family. And honor Christ by going all in on your faith family today. Would you go all in on being a member of the family? That's how we honor Christ's sacrifice. If you're here and you're in a small group, I encourage you, if you're not in a small group yet, I encourage you to get into a small group. But the questions for your small group is, what is our faith family supposed to look like? What is our faith family supposed to look like, according to Jesus? And what's the difference between an attender and a family member? Have you crossed that step? What is the difference between an attender and a family member? Like how those rhyme? Man, we want to invite you if you're here and you're not, you haven't been brought into the full or part of the family or you don't feel like the family yet. We want to invite you to be a part of the family of Christ with us. So uh, with that, I'm going to have you all stand up for just a minute. Close your eyes, bow your heads, maybe just pray. And would you begin to pray for our faith family? Would you begin to pray for the people around you? Maybe you know their names, maybe you just see their faces. But would you just spend a minute looking around and praying for our faith family? Because this is where Jesus has you. These are your brothers and sisters. Would you begin to pray for them now? Now would you begin to pray for our faith family, our brothers and sisters, and the other churches in this town. Would you begin to pray for the brothers and sisters in Fremont County? Would you begin to pray for the brothers and sisters in the U.S.? Now would you begin to pray for the brothers and sisters across the globe. Lord Jesus, we do. We just pray. We pray for all of our brothers and sisters across this globe who we've met yet and who we haven't met yet. And Lord, we just pray that as we go and we break, as we leave here today to go and break bread with one another, God, I would be, pray that it would be as if we were breaking bread with our family. And Lord, we pray that you'd be honored in how we enjoy this potluck together. But before we do, God, I just pray that you would be glorified and worshiped as we sing this song together. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.